Welcome to the Better Bozo. happening <laughs> it's happening right now okay who are you my name is mika kurz yeah i'm jeff james howard um we i think both of us identify as he and him he him his he him his i also identify kind of as a grumpy curmudgeon often but in purple colors great uh, i think we're different kinds of curmudgeons yeah i i, I definitely <laughs> identify as a curmudgeon yeah we'll have to i i we should dive into that one day and, and, and understand why that is. Well, not today. Yeah, but that's a good future topic. That's part of what we're up to here is generativity. Right. And why be a curmudgeon when I can be a, a happy pink rainbow fairy? But the truth be told, I feel sometimes I identify as a purple colored mm-hmm. kind of curmudgeon. Great. Purple curmudgeon. I'll be a blue meanie. There you go. So... We are today getting ready to talk, speak with Terry, Terry, Terry Chiaki, Chiaki, the Reverend Terry Chiaki. And I, I just finished reading, um, their bio, her bio, their bio, I think their, their bio. Yeah. And I'm blown away <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I mean, massively impressed. Um, I want to say there's a balance that I'm feeling between, um, super looking forward to it and also somewhat intimidated. Yeah. Um, how'd you meet this person? I met Terry, uh, really wonderful circumstances actually. So my partner, Christian Pelmas, who's dear friends with Terry, uh-huh. um, was presenting, she was leading, uh, what they're calling a path. She was leading a path at, um, the surrender of the ecosex convergence, which is uh, something Terry co-founded, which uh, we can put a link to in comments in show notes. Absolutely. Yep. And we will. Uh, so Christian and I were in the throes of our first handful of months of courtship and I was living in Washington state and Christian was living in Colorado and she agreed, Christian agreed to uh, participate in this weekend and be one of the teachers, one of the presenters that Terry was, that Terry was, putting on the ecosex convergence. Okay. And so part of the road trip that Christian and I took was for me to drop Christian off at surrender, the ecosex convergence, uh-huh. which at the time was in Southern Washington, just North of the Columbia river on, I think 40 some acres. Windward was the land. Uh, they don't do it there anymore. They do it on Orcas Island now. But, and so I met Terry uh, as I was watching her facilitate and, and, kind of beautifully bark orders at people and organize and, and help those that were volunteering and the path leaders, um, to get the lay of the land. Mm. Uh, and then I returned a few days later and participated in a couple of, of the paths and got to know Terry a little bit better. So it was this beautiful immersion into part of what Terry does. And I mean, as far as I have, a. One of the things I, about the favorite things that I really appreciate in life is, is awesome facilitation. 
Mm. I look for it. A good facilitator yeah. uh, uh, holds a balance of, of ritual magic and being able to hold space and make sure that I'm and everybody else is feeling as welcome as possible. And at the same time, there's some practical, you know, nuances as to how yeah. we get things done and, and make sure that, uh, you know, whatever the space that's being held is, mm-hmm. uh, is being held well. How does she, is she... She seems to me, I'm looking at a picture. There's a, like a lot that I can get from a picture. Seems like a powerhouse of a person that holds space. I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. She's, uh, or they are, are quite skilled. Uh, she's a, an amazing academic. Mm. I actually have, I don't know that I've ever met uh, and come to know anyone as uh, rigorous mm. in their study mm-hmm. as Terry is. Um and in my experience of her facilitation and just her as a friend, she's clear, she's honest, she's courageous. Uh, there's no bones about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly she can, to some folks that may be a little thinner skinned, mm. she can feel a bit much or a bit abrasive. Uh, for me, typically that's my jam. <laughs> like, if, like you were saying, I also appreciate good facilitators. Someone has their shit together, can mm. hold a good container mm. and has the craft and art and nuance to be able to let something move or be expressed. And Terry's amazing at making room for people in terms of consent, in terms of inclusion, mm. in terms of here's how it goes. And, and, I think I've seen her do the the loving correction, which is a tough thing to do. Mm-hmm. Like if say, like I've already accidentally misgendered mm-hmm. just in talking about it instead of saying she, I said they. Mm-hmm. I've seen her do a beautiful job of, hey, here's how we are doing things. Calling in as opposed to calling out. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Thanks, man. That's a great. I like calling in. So I'm so I'm super excited. Mm-hmm. I'm honored. Thank you so much for introducing me. I love meeting <laughs> awesome new people. What do you think? I mean, since we have a liminal space and time, <laughs> we do. What would be the best way to approach this? What should we talk with her about? Well, she and I emailed back and forth, and I asked her, and it feels like the excuse me, mm-hmm. <laughs> drinking kombucha. Being a dude. They <laughs> uh, <laughs> call it the booch, I've heard. <laughs> the it's booch. Obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, I'm just getting a couple booch burps. Um, <clears throat> note to self <laughs> don't drink kombucha while we do the better pose out. Uh, I suggested some version of sex, love, gender, consent, identity. So it could be any and all of those things. Mm. So it might behoove you and me. Mm-hmm. To talk about what the hell those things mean to us. Ahead of time or sure. with her? Like right now. Well, and, and of course with her in just a handful of minutes. I, I, I mean, to be totally honest, the intimidation that I feel around speaking with someone that I already hold such high esteem is that... I don't feel like I have my shit together enough to ask good questions. <laughs> Some people would say, Micha, what are you talking about? Don't worry about it. You know what you're doing. You've been doing this for years. And other times I just feel like such a child. <laughs> What's, yeah, me, me, you and me both, brother. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Um, well, that, that's kind of the point, though, man. 
Like in terms of us not really knowing what the hell we're talking about. Sure. I can imagine her being like, yeah, I get it. And mm-hmm. y- y- buck up, man. It, you know, <laughs> step up to the plate and well, don't well, be a doofus. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what we're doing right now. Fair. All right. So per the, the doofus slash better bozo. Uh-huh. What do we say? The deeper, deeper doofus. doofus the better bozo. <laughs> that's got to be our subtitle. Yep. Helping the deeper doofus. Well, here's, a, here's another thing that I was thinking on the way down the mountain today on, on, on the way to seeing you, I, I realized that what we want to engage with, maybe tell me how this mm-hmm. lands in your realm. Cool. We are engaging in locker room talk, essentially. Motherfucker. This is what we, this is what we're up to, right? We're at the, in the most intimate mm-hmm. moment and figuring out from that place yeah. the locker room talk in the United States today post 2016 election means something specific it's that place where we hide away and we allow men to be the most disgusting selves <laughs> the most primitive the most you know obnoxious and 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 let all the toxic juices flow out and i feel like yeah that's where the bozo begins and hopefully we can take that and say, that's real. That exists. I'm not denying that. And I want to grow. It's time to evolve there at that point, that point, I don't want to lock it into just the locker room. Yeah. I want to be able to, 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 to bring that to, to the next level. I want to, I want to evolve. Yeah. Well, uh, so what comes up for me is, and this is going to sound paradoxical uh-huh. conscious locker room talk. Ooh. Yeah. Cause it seems <laughs> like the point is, I think to, to help men bring this into the locker room uh-huh. where it isn't just a, a, you know, whether, whatever the numbers are, one out of five or four out of five men feeling comfortable when some dude starts being utterly sexist and misogynistic and racist. And they don't say anything because they think everybody else agrees with him. Yep. Um, as opposed to saying, hey, man, uh-huh. knock that shit off. <laughs> right, right. What do you mean when you say broad, you know? What, I'm sorry, that, that, that seems disrespectful to me and, and to all uh, people who identify as females or women. Sure. So, because <clears throat> to say this is locker room talk, I, I'm with you, because it's, it's like the last episode we talked about... You know, you saying, I am Brett Kavanaugh, which I thought was pretty <laughs> radical and also important and made my, you know, stomach curl and my groin a little woozy. Yeah. Like, oh, God, Mika's probably right. I'm probably Brett Kavanaugh, too. <laughs> so uh, so I'm just still sort of squirming from that. So so what do you think about conscious life? I love it. Talk? I love it. I think that's that's exactly right. And when it comes to inviting Terry on... <clears throat> to speak with us, I, I I think off the bat, and you know, I'll let you introduce her, and probably we should read her bio if we have a minute, so we can introduce. That's great. Um, but also with the, I feel like the invitation is come on into the locker room. We're having some conscious locker room talk, and and we'd like to we'd like to have it with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still a little troubled by it. I I appreciate it. I'm getting with it. <laughs> I'm not attached. It just feels conceptually speaking. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, that's, that's the conscious part of what we're doing. 
Yeah, I think as I experience what you're up to, it's 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 some version of uh, utterly piercing the bu- the balloon, mm. the bubble, mm. um, and and ripping down that. <laughs> ironically safe place for men to talk a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's what we're, that's what we're really talking about. Yep. Yep. We're, you know, I think you said earlier hiding you to hide away and there are no consequences and boys will be boys. Men will be men. Dudes be dudes, uh, which is just destructive. And, and, um, well, we'll leave it at that's destructive. It's destructive and it's not, yeah. it's toxic. I feel like the bottom line here is, yes, it's destructive to women and people of all genders, Mm -hmm. but more than that, I don't want to be toxic. Right. (laughs) This is part of what I was alluding to earlier is that it's so difficult to not just go along with the crowd. Uh Uh-huh. Having been a a boy Uh and then an adolescent and then a young man, I mean, whatever you want to call those developmental stages... It was really hard as a sensitive kid to to speak up. I didn't know how to do it. Mm. So if someone was talking shit or laughing or making fun, and a lot of times I was the butt of the joke, or I was the one that was being, you know, whipped with a towel or all that kind of shit. Oh, I always figured you the other way around. Oh, well, <laughs> no, mostly I, I, I got picked on. Uh, I think I tried on the opposite, the bully thing a couple of times and felt really terrible. Huh, I was uh-huh. like, oh, I want to go apologize to that guy. Yeah. I'm sorry. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. So I was more the comedian. I wasn't the bully. I was the, I was the guy that made everybody laugh. Sure. That was my defense to not be a bully and also not to get picked on. Sure. Uh, so that's the, that was my route. So deeper doofus, better bozo. Yep. What's... um. Would you do the honors? I will. And read um, Reverend Terry D. Terry Diane Shockey. Okay. So uh, Terry, today's guest, uh, has an MSW, Master's in Social Work. And being Terry includes being the relational matrix of the living love revolution. And... Mm. Um, one of the, side note, one of the great things about Terry is her voicemail, I think she'd be fine with me saying this, is her singing about the living love revolution. Yes. And I love it every time. So she's it's, unapologetic. She is unapologetically Terry. Well said. You're already getting to know her, Mika. Nice. Uh, She's a holi- they're a holistic sex educator, a priestess of Aphrodite, a leader of the eco-sexuality movement, which, what the hell is that? We're going to have to ask her. Mm. I kind of know, but mostly I don't. And an eco-magics practitioner. Also definitely want to ask about yes. magic. That was on my short list of things to talk about. Okay. Um, been generating Cascadia Holistic Peer Counseling System since 1997. Uh, holding Aphrodite temples since 2000. And I'm going to butcher this, but it's some version of, of conscious sexuality, conscious sex magic uh, temples. Mm. Uh, and we mentioned this earlier, co-created Surrender the Ecosex Convergence. Uh, in 2017, she started the, they started the, oh wait, no, I just say she. Okay. There we go. All right. I want to say she. It's her bio. <laughs> so, uh, started Interdependence and Autonomy LLC. It's a for profit business that builds consent culture by healing conflict through education and legal advocacy, creating consent centric events, which 
also cool and what the hell's that feels like again yeah 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 no, I have so just from the bio I'm like <laughs> yeah. so many questions uh, Reverend Shaki looks to nature for guidance and wisdom. She translates the teachings she receives from mycelium, bees, and stardust into usable social skills for human beings. Obviously. And I don't doubt this at all, by the way. That might sound super woo, and I think it is, and I don't doubt it at all. I believe in Terry. Um, That's a good sticker. Okay, so the, here's a they again. So I feel like there's some misgendering going on in this bio. We should talk to her about this. They lead collaborative workshops and events that honor the innate connections between humans and the living earth. Uh, oh, here's her again. This is confusing. I think that might be intentional. She seems Maybe. like a super intentional being. Mm hmm. All right. Her most recent efforts are forming the quickening collective of ancestral resonance on summer solstice 2019 and working on ecosex articles for public consumption. She's also a writer, speaker, educator, facilitator extraordinaire. The quickening collective of, of ancestral resonance. Yep. Uh, ooh, ha, yes. Uh, yeah. I'll speak <laughs> briefly to that because Christian. My partner, Palmas, is involved in that as well, and it's essentially um, some groovy, wise witches talking with ancestors. Hey, yeah, I'm curious about the quickening. Mm. I'm pretty sure it's a witchcraft term. Love it. <laughs> Again, don't quote me on this, but... <laughs> it's, it's Something about this also feels very Northwest. Oh, Cool. How so? I, I don't know. I, I haven't been in this country for very long, but mm -hmm. the impressions that I get from the Portland and Seattle area is that there is definitely a spirit of what I know as Wicca. Oh, yeah. And, totally. And casting circles and covens totally. and warlocks and witches that get together. And, and um, in this case, it feels, it feels mature. It feels grounded. It feels full of sacred knowledge and experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny. I not uh, not a bone of my cynic skeleton has nudged so far. Great. I'm I'm super. I'm in. <laughs> I can't wait to meet this person. Cool. All right. Well, we're T minus a few minutes. Okay. Yeah. So should we? Take a break, sip Let's some water. Let's take a break. And, all right, cool. Sounds good. We'll be back in a few. Hi, Terry. Hi. <laughs> it's nice to see you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, welcome to the Better Bozo, Terry. I love the name. Yeah, mm -hmm. so do we. What do you love about Does that mean you it? You identify as a bozo. Uh, yeah, I identify as a bozo, and Mika identifies as a doofus. It's true. <laughs> Bozos and doofuses are great. So well, we're going for the better bozo and the deeper doofus. Oh, that's awesome, you guys! <laughs> it's just the right kind of levity, you know. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the point. I'm glad you see it that way. Uh, Christiane shared with some of her. Uh, the the women that help her uh her teacher her staff yeah her women yeah. friends and uh pretty much all of them were resounding like like no oh no don't don't oh, call well, men bozos i called my work uh surrender yeah 
Uh-huh. Right? So it's like, wait, what's an appropriate right sized mm-hmm. name brand yeah. to reside within? Right. And what I appreciate about the better bozo is that it's not ambitious. It's not an ambitious Iron Man comic book projection <laughs> of That's masculinity. That's true. I love that reflection. Yeah. We're inundated with all the time, and I don't trust it one friggin' jot. <laughs> Fair. Oh, yeah. Go fix yourself. Thank you. Fair. No. <laughs> yeah. Let's be gracious. Let's, let's be humble. So good. Yeah. Well, great. That has me feeling it's better. funny. We all need some humor. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, Meek and I were talking, <clears throat> we did basically a, a chat before you hopped on here and talked about you, talked about the show, talked about your bio, what you get up to. And we said at the same time, resoundingly, the deeper doofus and had a good laugh over it. Mm. It means it's real. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's real. It's humbling and real and good to be in a humble and real place these days. Yeah, well said, man. Yep, we're quite and we're in quite a pickle, aren't we, human beings? What's your take on the pickle, Terry? From where you stand? Well, you know, I uh, this is hilarious. I just wrote an article for Autostraddle that was up for three days before it got attacked to the point that the editors took it down. Uh, <laughs> but I'm starting out with the you know the idea. Uh, that Jem Bendel puts up, you know, that we're dealing with uh, societal collapse, yep. climate chaos, mm-hmm. and an extinction event. So those three very real, scientifically provable, <laughs> as in factual reality, mm-hmm. things are uh, simultaneously, they're all happening. And human beings are not able to, one, ingest that information, uh, to really deal with the existential crises about their identity, about what they do every day, about how we're, how are we going to find meaning when we're, you know, destroying the source of our existence. And just, <laughs> get, uh, you can't stop it, but it's on a trajectory. It's bigger than me. I don't know how to stop it. You know, and the, probably the societal collapse thing uh, is the most like constantly urge, you know, like listening. I, ever since the 2016 election, I made myself listen to the news because that experience was such a shock that I realized, wow, I'm, I'm really not in touch with, well, it's not a shock. I'm not in touch with what I call the fading Uber culture. I'm intentionally trying to create a different culture based on very different values and very different ways of inhuman but i you know still was totally shocked that trump became president and so now i listen to npr all the time you know so there's a stream of this oh other people are really pretty radically different from me yeah so i want to slow down a little bit because you said a term that feels important fading uber culture oh right okay so part of the problem when you're uh, who I am okay. is that the language that uh, and the culture that I grew up in doesn't really, it's not centered around me at all. And yeah. so I'm constantly an outlier. And so there's all kinds of neologisms, you know, new words and new language <laughs> that I have invented in order to center my own experience. Cool. And one of those is that I call the culture I grew up in the fading Uber culture because it's a spell and it says, Hey, yeah. let's, 
have that culture take its right sized space in the vast timeline of history, right? Yeah. And if we're following the mycelial timeline, humans are a pretty new little blip. Yeah. Mycelium have been here, you know, from my understanding, both direct transmission and talking to other people and following archaeology and all that, <laughs> is that mycelium brought, the stardust brought life to the planet, you mm. know? And so they've survived five other extinction events. Um, you know, I watch a lot of the channels that I watch are like Paul Stamets. I try to follow everything Paul Stamets does. Right. Paul Stamets, uh, he's more than a, uh, mycologist. He's more than a mycologist, right? He's, he's a fascinating dude. He's a psychonaut. He's an archeologist. He's a student of indigenous history and culture. (laughs) Uh, you know, and he, the most potent psilocybin mushroom is named after him. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. He lives in the Cascadia bioregion like I do. Yeah. And he has a company called Fungi Perfecti, and he has many videos. But the first thing I saw of him was a 2008 talk called Six Ways That Mushrooms Can Save the Planet. Mm. And if you haven't seen that, you should. Yeah. Cool. So, and then they keep finding more evidence. Like they just find another big fossilized mushroom. That was like a 30 foot tall mushroom, dude. (laughs) That after there were volcanoes that turned, you know, there was so much ash in the atmosphere. There was a huge dieback and the fungi took off. Wow. So anyway, you want to evolutionarily speaking, you want to pair with species that are going to survive. Right. So in about 2010, I decided, okay, I'm not going to use human beings as role models anymore. I'm going to to look to nature and see that for me, mycelium and bees, because they're about radiant heart field, if you look at Steiner's work, and stardust. Are you talking about Rudolf Steiner or? Yeah, Rudolf Steiner. Mm -hmm. So radiant. Yeah. So my, I say that my church is called the living love revolution. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the culture I'm trying to build is based on centering the value of love and blatantly gynocentric understanding of, you know, how orgasm happens, that kind of thing. Okay. So again, slowing you down for the bozos over here, gynocentric, (laughs) like, I can get what gyno, because I'm going to connect that to gynecology, uh, woman or female. Uh, yeah. So this, again, wordplay. Yeah, yeah. But but just. And for example, a lot of people might say androgyny. Okay. But I say gynandry. Okay. Huh. So gynocentric is to center the female or feminine experience and i'm not collapsing sex and gender but those and we could have long conversations about (laughs) and all that stuff but my point is just for example in the aphrodite temple events that i do (laughs) any ways a magical cone of power the cone of power is gynocentric, meaning there are many waves of energy that go wah, wah, wah. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I'm going to have to ask you, I'm going to have to, just to, because the Zoom suddenly slowed you down, but that felt like a really important sound bite. And since we have the tech <laughs> to do that, cool. would you be willing to repeat sure. what happens in that? Te- yes. Sure. In, in, when we raise a cone of power in the Aphrodite Temple, the end of raising all this erotic life force energy, we release it 
and direct it intentionally, right? And when we do that, we go, (laughs) in waves and we let it rise and fall many times auditorily and energetically, right? Because the sound is following the energy that we're releasing. And we talk about golden waves. Uh, Androcentric sexual focus would be as, as I grew up in, in the fading Uber culture, not something I invented and not something that I personally am assigning mm-hmm. as the masculine, but what I, my lived experience is that male sexual energy around orgasm goes, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, right? Well, and yes. But I have, a, I have my sensation of hearing you describe this or the, the gynocentric one first is that when you say we, I actually still feel like part of that. Yeah, you can. You totally can. That's totally up to you. <laughs> I, the, nothing that I'm doing is exclusive. Mm. And in fact, you know, I run into a lot of trouble because of even my choice to make sound instead of doing a long explanation mm. is to favor somatic or experiential learning mm-hmm. and somatic experiential communication. And for those so, who don't know, soma means body. Somatic is of the body. Oh, I really appreciate yeah. the way we slow things down and explain things to us yeah. bozos and doofuses because really important. I'm going to get a book. So I have to, I need a, a book to illustrate. Something I want to <laughs> talk about the cone of power versus what seems like the pencil of, of, of something <laughs> not as powerful. <laughs> pinnacle. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, the pinnacle of the pencil versus so the cone of a, power. A book called yep. Queer Magic that came out uh, April 2nd, 2018. It's got 30 different contributors to it. And in it is a, the only essay I've ever really written detailing what the magical practices in my Aphrodite temple are called. See, it says mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. golden waves and priestess, and priestess bodies. Establishing a queer centric, polynormative Aphrodite cultus in Cascadia. Okay, right? so can we hold on right there? Because there's f- multiple things I want to try to get clarification on. And this is so valuable already for me. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I feel like I know a couple things and then I get schooled in 45 yes, seconds. Um, so queer centric. I get that. That's putting in the center queer or queerness. Can we talk for a little bit about what queer means? Because I think there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings and and twisted ideas of what the hell that is. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, what I I think queer is? Yeah. Uh, Refusing to be defined. Right. So Taking an intentional position (laughs) of liminality. Which is in betweenness, in between doorway, uh-huh. a space in between. So yeah. both of the deities that I work with the most are Aphrodite and Hermes, and they're both in charge of liminal spaces, okay. interstices, like the, how the water in the ocean hits the shore, uh-huh. right? Here's you know, and the waves that are coming. Yep. Okay. Part of what I'm trying to ex- explain, what I'm going to read shortly, Great. is about how do you refer to your to yourself, right? Because my experience of myself is not that I am a static 
solid, consistent <laughs> noun. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so would you say you're more I, of a verb or? I'm a being. Yeah. Oh, as in, yeah, right. There's a, the being state. Right? I'm a being. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Cool. Right? And I prefer non-beta states of consciousness. Wait, wait. wait. I can dwell in them. I will. Okay. So this, non- this form of consciousness that we're talking in, normal reality is a beta state. Mm. When you study the different states that the brain can be in, theta, delta, you know, this is beta. Mm-hmm. Right. So anytime you use, uh, anytime you enter an altered state, mm-hmm. you're no longer in beta. So meditation, sex, yeah. whatever kind of different kinds of uh, substances, some of them are entheogens and some of them are not, you know, mm-hmm. uh, eating too much cheese, you know, you can <laughs> alter your state <laughs> in, in many ways. Right. Would that be considered a theta state in brain terms or, or does alpha, because we think about brain states, beta state, alpha state, theta state, right? Right. Um, Theta is like deep sleep and deep deep relaxation. Yeah. So, but when I'm furious about or triggered, I think is the right word. If I'm triggered, is that considered not beta? Now I'm going to have to go look into that. That's a really smart (laughs) question. Cause, cause I, yeah. sometimes I don't know objectively speaking, and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole cause I like the conversation yeah. clarifying yeah, yeah. queerness and, and yeah. what we want and, and continue to work on that title. But yeah. when I'm triggered, I'm often uh, confused in mm-hmm. regards to why is my being triggered? It feels like uh, invalidated. What if I'm right to be triggered? What if my anger at something is actually appropriate? As and and I'm and I ought to be triggered, um, and so I'm. I'm sometimes I'm. I'm curious about is is it not quote normal? Yeah, I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna write down research alpha, beta, theta. When we are, it must be some PTSD trance. You know, when we're in a PTSD trance, what? state are we in that's a really good and you know that's going to lead to some deep stuff right there <laughs> i really love and appreciate that you already identified named ptsd state oh yeah just even well, without we, even spending too much time together right so part of what goes on is if you grow up and live in a culture that does not center you and constantly tells you that your experience doesn't exist and that you're not a valid person mm. because your identity and you, and you refuse to strive to be like, I don't want to be a white man. Thank you very much. I don't want to be a white neoliberal wealthy man. I, I'm not interested in it. Nothing, nothing against that. Mm-hmm. But it's not, you know, I, when I get in the car every day and put in my seatbelt and it chokes me, I am reminded that the world is not designed for me. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, I can't, go to the bathroom without being like, who, who's this toilet designed for? Uh-huh. <laughs> for me, who puts a toilet paper there? That's not what works for my body. Uh-huh. You know, why is the refrigerator this high? Why are the cabinets in my kitchen so far above my head? I have to get on a stool. I bought the damn house, you know? So it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's so validating. And, and yet yeah. the culture that I grew up in, 
uh, has told me I'm by the way, I grew up in, in Jerusalem, Israel occupied Palestinian territories, lots of big political conversations. We don't have to go down today. Um, but you know, we, I grew up to be a soldier and the basic, the, the, I think the mantra is whatever's going on, suck it up. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, but that's not humane. So it, the culture you grew up in wasn't centered around you and your needs. Uh-huh. My, part of my point is the culture, the fading Uber culture, is not designed to meet human needs. Mm. <laughs> it's not. It's designed to prioritize wealth and to deny the actual living nature and sovereignty of non-human beings. I'm deeply animist, you know, yeah. so it, I, don't, I don't have much use for it. So unfortunately I'm, I'm living in it, you know? So being queer for me to be queer is to resist mm-hmm. that is to resist that Uber culture that you're, yeah. that we're describing here. That's essentially, yeah. it's, it's more, it's a, it's, it's a statement. I'm, I'm pushing that away. I am redefining and validating my own sense of self. Right. And as try as I might, I try not to spend all my time in reaction mm-hmm. or even pushing away. Instead, I am centering myself, my behavior, my actions, my money, my resources, and my time to the best of my ability around my own identity, which is a queer animist witch identity, which is a, a sacred whore transpersonal priestess identity. It's an identity that I hope to live into the future and leave a legacy for. So other people will have less trouble trying that on and seeing if that's because for most people, what I'm doing isn't even a possibility. Most of the time when I tell people what I do, the response is incredulity or incredulity. shock or <laughs> denial. Like you yeah. don't do that. Well, I tell my family of origin, <laughs> what I do. <laughs> People don't do that. <laughs> I mean, well, maybe I'm not a people then, you know? <laughs> so, Terry, I want to go back again. and Because I, I think I'm with you. And in terms of yeah. just so we make sure we're all on the same page. Sacred yeah. horror, transpersonal. Uh, mm-hmm. And what was the, the other thing you said? Priestess. Yeah. Priestess. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this is so difficult, right? This is the new language. Well, totally, because I'm with you. But sacred horror is going to have probably anybody who's listening going, what the hell is she talking about? Oh, you know, no, sort of like, sacred prostitution. Sacred people aren't familiar with that? I'm pretty sure yeah. the circles that I was raised in are so thoroughly unfamiliar with that. That and yet the sacred horror archetype arose chthonically from the land you grew up on. Absolutely. Iraq, the Palestine. Mary Magdalene. Mary yeah. Magdalene. I can share with you both that these days I've been um, translating and transcribing into Hebrew uh, uh, autobiography by Mary Magdalene as channeled right. by Flo Aavia Magdalena. And it's <laughs> such wow. a pleasure to to, cool. to, to 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 work on the on the language mm-hmm. and thoroughly transform yeah. the way I'm thinking about these things and to yeah. realize oh Magdalene of course 
was, I mean, I love that you reclaimed the word whore, but as far as a priestess goes, as far as a teacher of sacred sexuality, of duality and oneness and understanding that, I mean, I say this as a, as a, I guess I identify, I was born as Jewish, but to realize that uh, there would not be a Christ consciousness. There wouldn't be a Christ without the Magdalene to. Well, and I'll even go back beyond that because that's still speaking into a, a heteronormative dyad in uh-huh, some ways. Uh-huh. So what I'm talking about is Astareth, Inanna. Uh-huh. You know, even before Christ, 23,000 years ago, first civilization, Sumerian, Inanna. Uh-huh. So the archetype of the, of the sacred whore is yeah. the first... Priestess? Deity, as the first deity. Deity. Hmm. So the first civilization was in Samaria. And the first human writing is cuneiform uh-huh. that was written by a 24-year-old priestess of Inanna named Anahaduana. And she left a, a, a long uh, kind of beseeching thing. And they fought for a long time. It was a fantasy. And then they finally found archaeological evidence of it. That, that is in a book called Lady of Largest Heart by Betty Shadong Madur. Cool. Well, I love it. Of- We're going to put links to all of these things. We're going to be busy more linking. than anything because I want to follow <laughs> up on them. And if anybody else does, they're welcome to do that too. And, and so, st- yeah, sorry, go ahead. So let's go, let's go back to queer. We're going to go back to that point. Thanks I'm for bringing us back. <laughs> there are lots of wormholes we could go down. Right. There's yeah. uh, basically queer is a way to say I'm throwing out the framework because of all, all of the sexual identities we have are still in opposition or resistance to white male heteronormative patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. When you live as if that is the standard, like, so from my perspective, I would like to live into a culture where we don't have LGBTQAI alphabet soup. Because why? Why can't we just say not a white dude? You know, I mean, they're... (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah. N-A-W-D. Why do we have to have 15 strings of... Right? Yeah, yeah. When we can say queer, meaning non-normative as shorthand. Well, hang on, hang on. Just to just to push back because it's taken long enough for this bozo to to recognize LGBTQIA and to get used to using those terms because it's up to me to uh, to to acknowledge the different realities that people are experiencing as opposed to the Uber the Uber Uber culture. The Uber culture that I grew up with as a cisgendered white guy, I feel like, I mean, and now you're throwing that out. That's been some hard work. People have worked hard for those letters. I'm not throwing it out. I'm just saying I want to live into a culture Uh, and a way of being where everyone else's existence and life experience is acknowledged to the point that we have, we don't have to have a conversation. I want to live in a non-dualistic culture. Mm -mm -mm. Well, I think the distinction that maybe needs to be made here is that what you just said, Terry, which is um, living forward, right? Moving forward into a different culture. Whereas I think Mika has really great. These are both great points is that (laughs) the confusion for, you know, largely, uh, heterosexual white men is, oh, what the hell do we, how do we talk? How do we address? How do we, which letter and number and asterisk for you? Up. Right. So there's, absolutely. I think the distinction I want to make. It's really, really hard not to center yourself. 
Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, it totally snap. is. There isn't even any language or any psychological reference for the process <sighs> of decentering yourself. There's nothing. That is how thick the hierarchical patriarchy is. Yeah. And to be clear, decentering, by the way, those of you listening, is uh, making yourself unself centered. Yeah. And so right. what that came from is reading Bell Hook's book feminism from margin to center Mm. and that's an important shout out because (laughs) if i had not read that book in my 20s i wouldn't do things like say queer centric poly you know i wouldn't know what kind of language to use so it is a very intentional political and philosophical frame for me to say i am centering myself and it has come very ballsy and very empowered, and I get smacked down for it all the time. Mm. For example, my article will be up for three days right. because people are like, "What queers don't believe that? What this is too sexual? <laughs> you know, that's yeah. not history." I'm like, actually, it is, but you yeah. haven't studied history. So my point is just that yeah. centering myself and constantly saying to people, "Hey, I'm centering myself," means what I'm doing is saying. My life, my values, and my existence are as important as cis white male existence. And I refuse to get off of that position. But it's it's a very difficult position to hold. So you and I, or us here, the bozos in the room, yeah. are in absolutely different positions, essentially. We just presence yeah, except that. For I think that we're equal. I think that we're equal and that we can commune. I want to commune with you. Would would you, are we communing? Are we communing right now? Yeah. Sweet. I just want to try to get clear. Oh yeah, I don't have. I'm speaking um, adamantly mm-hmm. and with passion, but I'm. I don't have any sense of uh, discontent or hostility or frustration. Oh, that's great. I, I get yeah. that. That's when I'm Italian American. That comes up for me and my husband all the time because mm-hmm. he's from much. Italian America. <laughs> sure. Emotion. Excitability. But, uh, you know, it's important. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm from Israel. I totally get that. I have the right? hardest time here. Every I, yeah. Anytime I express any emotion, people are like, why are you angry? And I'm like, I'm not angry. And what the fuck if I was angry? What's wrong with anger? That, that, like, exactly. Happy. Exactly. Yeah. Happiness for God's sake. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my, how happy can you be if your joy is like? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you can only be as happy as you get enraged. You know, it's like anyway. Yeah, I like feelings. I think they're important. So, so wait, what came after queer? Well, it said queer centric polynormative. Polynormative. So we're norming multiples, right? Yeah, that yes. we should have more than one love because you can't really be ecosexual if you only have one love in your life. Ooh, wait, right. okay. I only love this one cedar tree. Okay, then you could be a, a, a monogamous cedar dude. But mostly, <laughs> ecosexuality in, infers across species relatedness yeah the more than human world is included in what you so could be i love, in love humans with. and i love non-humans yeah yeah which is some version of animism yeah yeah <laughs> for extra effect yeah ancestor worship is in that 
Yes. Uh, yeah, you got it, right? Okay, I'm going to read this tiny little thing about how if I could center myself all the time and people would understand it, yeah. then I would choose to use the pronoun we, plural, mm, okay? okay? The use of the pronoun we throughout this essay is an intentional and admittedly unique usage. The intention is to express my internal experience of being a collective of beings, a multiverse of personas, an individual embedded in an ecological web of relatedness. It is impossible for me to separate myself from the complex interweaving and histories of one, sex positive and queer ancestors of choice, my role models who I've based my behavior on, mm. intention, right? Mm -hmm. Two, biological blood ancestors of DNA family heritage. Like it or not, I look like my mom mm. and I sound like my dad, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, things that are embedded in me. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't want to deny where I came from. Three, the internal environs of my body that now we know include biota, neural networks, and the assimilation of animals and plants as food. I mean, we take on those substances, we become them, right? Four, the fluidity of ideas, conversations, and activities shared within and between the many people in my many communities. Five, the fluids and bodies I exchange when being sexual with others. And six, the lived environments of my physical existence taken in by my body's sensory precepts. It is also important to me as an ecosexual animist to approach the non-humans around me as an integral part of myself with a capital S using the ecological self mm -hmm. as Arnness, the philosopher came up with it, you know, call your ecological self is a capital S self. Mm -hmm. So while the use of the pronoun we for self-reference is clumsy, it's also for me the most truthful and authentic. Right? Oh, so, yes, it's a lot. Many trans and gender fluid and non-binary people are changing their pronouns and asking that other people, you know, commit those pronouns to memory, even if they're changing frequently. I'm kind of on a movement to, as an animist and an ecosexual person, you know, say we. So there's a way in which, so a lot of that lands really... Uh, resoundingly with me. It also is a lot. I want to yeah. like read it 10 more times. Yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of with the multiverse of personas, um, which I really love because as a therapist, I've started to adopt for the last few years, the notion of parts. Like well, we have multiple yeah. parts. When you say one of me, yeah, exactly. One of me is pissed right now. One of me is confused. One of me is checking out. One of me is really yeah. excited that we have these different Well, here's ones. what I want to throw this at you as a therapist, Jeff, because uh -huh. you'll get this. Okay. What if what we now call DID, or multiple personality disorder, sure. is not a disorder, and that we're designed to have different mm -hmm. parts of us arise in different environments, and that is, in fact, part of how we've survived so long. Mm. Oh, yeah, other I, adaptability. Right. So from an environmental perspective, an ecological perspective, yep. we couldn't have survived if we didn't merge with the beings in our environment. And so one of my ideas mm -hmm. that I'm trying to get people to think about is we need to be merging our consciousness with mycelium, bees and stardust. Not a joke, not mm -hmm. a fantasy 
an actual practical evolutionary design for human beings if they want to stay around. <laughs> that is a that just feels potent in terms of a uh, a possible course of being. I don't want to say well, course of action, but a way yeah, of being. A possible course of being. Well, yeah. so okay, so let's just be clear because the conversation we're having here is with a certain intention and purpose, and we're yes. we're reaching out as you know self confessed. Bozos and doofy. <laughs> the plural yeah. of doofus. I like that. Um, and you're saying you're essential. You're, you're prescribing a course of action here. Yes. Spend more time in liminal states, rewire your nervous system, doing trance, doing uh, sex magic in, in a relaxed and open state <laughs> and merge with ancient beings to this forward into a new way of being human. That's more right size. That's based on love. That's based on acknowledging the sovereignty of non-humans and so, find the other people that are willing to do that. That's not, this is not, it should be really clear. <laughs> this is not a panacea. It's not a global movement. It's mm-hmm. a small thing that only people who deeply resonate with it, sure. who find it a form of their own pleasure activism should do. <laughs> and I'm out to try to connect with those maybe 200 other people period, because that might be enough people mm-hmm. to shift dimensions or create some kind of portal and stuff. I don't even know what I'm talking about when I go there. It sounds really far out, but I know that I'm supposed to be doing this cross-pollination and finding that other critical number of people. It's probably the Jaren number, the Dunbar number, like 140 people. Uh, well, I got to say, and, and because you mentioned pleasure activism, and it's lovely to quote and bring Adrian Marie Brown into our conversation. And I think I, um, between Jeff and I, I, th- I feel like there's an approach that Jeff brings as an internal kind of exploration. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth in any way, but uh, my own personal growth and process, my background is political activism and, and organizing. Um, and I, what I, what I'm hearing you say is that it's not only about my internal process, but also has a lot to do with how am I connecting with like-minded folks strategically. And you're saying living forward. Um, Mm -hmm. and when I, when, when I hear you say living forward, I hear strategy and tactics, uh, organizing towards what is the reality that we're co-creating together. Um, And so it, what, what else can you speak to us about when it comes to, you know, my yeah. own, besides well, my own personal better bozo process? Yeah, there's two. Okay, hold on. Uh, I want to have to say something about Annie Sprinkle, because you said Audrey Marie Brown. Mm-hmm. And two, um, oh, hold on just a second. Take your time. It was just, I had this immediate long stream, ah, existential. There we go. All right. So, uh, Adrian Marie Brown did indeed publish a book called Pleasure Activism this year, in February of this year. Mm-hmm. Annie Sprinkle was using the term pleasure activist and published a, a deck of pleasure activist playing cards in 19. 19- 85. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, way to call out. 30 plus years ago. Well, she's one of my good friends. She's one of the leaders of the ecosex movement, and I just love her. I just saw her in San Francisco. Anyway, um, so it's important. Sure. 
Absolutely. Because Annie is a role model to me and is actually a great example of a sacred whore. She did porn, porn movies. She made enough money. She decided to make her own porn movies. She centered female experience in that pornography. She made a butt ton of money and then she turned it into art. Mm. Right. And she got a PhD. Then she met up with Beth Stevens. Now they're both doing eco-sex movies. Right. And mm. so one of the best do is fund a sexually expressive, sexually sovereign woman mm. and let her create her own media and create her own culture around herself. But she's a great example of that. And Audrey Marie Brown's work is very important because she also references Audrey Lord, whose essay, The Uses of the Erotic, is like the foundational, intersectional, feminist essay that people refer to when we're talking about the importance of pleasure activism now. Stop there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back to the social unraveling, climate change crisis, and extinction event. To how much power and privilege we have as individuals. Because here we are sitting on a Zoom call. That means a whole bunch of things financially, social status. We're fine. I just bought a house. I love my life. I'm aware of my incredible privilege. Mm -hmm. Existentially, it is completely possible that all of this shit is made up. In fact, when I go on deep drug trips, I'm aware this is a little blip of a reality. It's not the only reality. It's not the true reality. However, as beings that have the amount of resources and the amount of intellectual capacity and the education that we have, do we not have an existential responsibility to try to generate a culture that's worth living into that uplifts human beings and non-humans? Right. So the goal then is that even if I can't prove any of the shit that I made up is true, Mm. I still have the responsibility to worship a female self-loving city that's about love and sexual ecstasy. Because if we're going to die in 30 years at the most, Mm -hmm. then we should be using every moment to honor the incredible beauty of these lives. We should be constantly creating ecstasy and joy with the power and privilege that we have. Because otherwise, what are we doing? An imperative. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, you know, spitting at God to not do it. You know, it's like, let's come on, get together in a, in a cuddle pile on Friday nights instead of going to watch a movie. You know, we should be, making sound and laying on the grass and enjoying these bodies at least. Mm. Yeah. It comes strongly back to the notion of decentralizing. Um, Cause I, I, as I move into the world and I try to become more edified through conversations like this one and I feel the tentacles of, uh, you know, building my business and, you know, building my brand right. and looking cool down to three sound bites that'll get a good rating. Oh, you know? totally. Yeah. All that right. shit. And, and Imagine your whole sex magic thing into a five-step process. <laughs> These I'm six on. steps to utter, yeah. <laughs> utter ecstasy. You know it. <clears throat> yeah. So that kind of shit ends up being... So I think there's a question there, which is, okay, so what are the ways in which we can you can point us to help us do that, to, to be in more ecstasy and more joy? You mentioned cuddle puddles. You mentioned... Yeah. Um, Clearly enjoying sense pleasures where, and this is where I get into a thing that I would love to hear you talk about, which is Eros 
eroticism, sex and sexuality as generativity, which to me is very much about the yeah, life force and the more than human world. Because so many of us, regardless of how we identify, we think pleasure has to involve sex or food pretty much it seems like you know entertainment that it, it can't no, no, involve no, no. i think sex involves your senses mm-hmm. your body its senses yeah. and communion mm-hmm. right like one of the other things i talk about and i've written about several times is you know from my perspective there's uh you know how we talk about psychological development mm-hmm. there's there should also be uh, sexual development Right. There's an arc of sexual development that, that adults hopefully can move through. Most people are, are stuck at a very, you know, adolescent or young 20s phase that never evolves or generates much. Well, uh, I, I feel like this is just a, important to pause on, especially because the, for the majority of bozos that I know, that I grew up with, hang out with, I remember being taught that my number one goal in life is to please a woman, but never, never have I actually been, that it's never been actually formally addressed as to how to do that or whether or not that's validated and true. The only kind of lesson that I think we receive is to be exposed. At, I mean, at the, at, when I was a kid, it was magazines. Today, it's online porn. Is pretty much the only kind of conversation about that that most young bozos these days are exposed to. Oh, it's not even a conversation. That's incredibly sad. Super sad. So what I um, try to teach, and again, it's not a message for for everyone. And I'm, I don't believe that my way is the right way. It's just the way that I've generated and created for myself. Mm-hmm. And if people resonate with it, that's great. And if they don't, I'm interested in, well, what do you think? Mm. Is that sex, most sex is still for procreation. That's how it's taught. Procreation inside of hetero, heteronormative dyad. Mm. <laughs> then sex, if you get past that, moves into sex as recreation. And there are certain... Uh, subcultures like the tech industry that has a high level of sex as recreation. And there has been a lot of queer cultural history that created the two different centers for sex positive culture. One was in Seattle, one was in San Francisco. They both closed. Hmm. Uh, but se- swingers, you know, there's all kinds of sex as recreation. Yeah. But for me, sex is really about communion. Sometimes uh, it's also called quantum sex, the way uh, uh, another person who's writing, I'm not remembering his name right now, wrote uh, about sex as quantum. And then a bunch of physicists were like, no, it's not. He's like, well, he is a physicist. But anyway, <laughs> the point is, it's uh, for merging, <laughs> for having a sense of union, communion. Why does that uh-huh. sound? I almost called my event. Yeah, until I realized that most people are going to associate that with Catholicism, which is not. Why does that sound sci-fi-ish to me? I don't know. What do you think? Um, Which part sounds sci-fi? The communion part. I think it brings me back to... Uh, it'll come to me. I forget the name of the book. Um, sci-fi writer, 1970s, African-American woman. Um, Octavia Butler? Yeah. It, it kind of, for me, it, it, it reminds me of Octavia Butler's... Huh? Uh, expression or description of communion between different species even. Yep. 
Um, I don't think it, I don't think it's that different. Yeah, I mean, she's an important Afro futurist visionary. Yeah, yeah. And they, Adrian Marie Brown also speaks to to. Oct- yeah, because Octavia- she put out a compilation uh, of writers in Octavia Butler's tradition. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. The first book that she did. Yeah, she's brilliant. Well, I, I mean, I can't ask, I can't answer the question to you. Why does that sound like sci-fi to you? But I can say that my own experiences are non-ordinary experiences, right? They're experiences I, for whatever reason, even in my first, say like the fourth and fifth time that I had a sexual experience when I was 18 years old, I had experiences of communion Mm. and I could tell energetically things about my partners. Like when they were with other people, like I'd have shared dreams, (sighs) like I'd have physically intuitive knowings about them, (laughs) which was, let's be clear, not information that I was seeking Mm -hmm. and Mm. not information that I wanted Mm. most of the time. Right. So I'm like, why did I have that capacity? Is that an ordinary human capacity? So I've come to believe not that I'm special in that way, but that most people's sensory precepts have atrophied because the, the life in the fading Uber culture does not reward you mm. for being that attuned yeah, and that right. easily in a sense of communion. And so one of the things that being out of nature a lot and being with non-humans does is it takes the wax and the static out. Your antennas will grow back. Your <laughs> hearing gets more attenuated. Your skin becomes more perceptive. Yes? Yeah. That's definitely my experience. One of my regenerative practices is to go for wanders in the mountains for anywhere from yeah. one to two hours. And by the yeah. time I'm usually 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, I'm, I feel yeah. like a different person because of yes. how expanded I am. And when you are a different person because you're emerging with the natural environment, which you a little while ago were saying, what can I recommend? 15 to 20 minutes a day outside, quiet. You're not saying anything. You are listening and tuning your exquisite, the exquisitely uh, sensitive body that you have to the external environmental circumstance and just being with it. (laughs) Can I, I gotta, I gotta, I have all kinds of bozo thoughts pushing back saying, but that just sounds so boring. (laughs) <laughs> you well, go, I'm so true. stimulated with my screen we're all here to entertain you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, <clears throat> does it sound boring to you or are you being sort of devil's advocate no I'm being a little bit devil's advocate I know that it's lovely I live up in the mountains I spend wow. over 15 minutes but I also am a familiar in my own consciousness about how uh, how when I wake up in the morning, my, I yearn to get back to my screen. What's what just just that feeling um, of stimulus of stimulus? What that feels, what feels so good about it? Um, there might be a part of me that's uh, uncomfortable with my own silence, with my own presence. But see, here's the thing: all of these things I'm telling you about are all things that arose out of me Mm -hmm. being with the world. 
And I believe that everyone has their own actual path, their own reason for existence. Sure. And that you have some one little piece of the puzzle that no one else has that we can't do without that we need. And so if you don't spend loving, aware time with yourself in your environment, mm. how is that going to arise? No, I'll tell you a really brief story about my husband, Mark. He's lovely. But when he was going to Burning Man, he made this thing and he still has it. It's a bullhorn with an amplifier on it. And it's called the obnoxicator. Okay. Wow. <laughs> if you are trying to find how you feel or where you are, but there's someone with an obnoxicator next to you yelling at 11, <laughs> right? Which is part of how the apocalypse is coming is being blasted at us right now. Mm. How are you ever going to be, you need to be able to listen into your own center and see what's there because it's precious. And so to a certain degree, these infernal machines are, you know, tethering us <laughs> to mm -hmm. the fading Uber culture. And then we're like, Oh, I couldn't live without my phone. But Jesus, I can remember we didn't have them. So can I, and I, I want to challenge some language, Mika, because you say the word yearn, and I would say, if anything, it's addiction, because to me, yearning and longing is far more about what Terry's pointing to, which is uh, communion, connection. Uh, I've got to, at least for me, the distinction's really vital, because my phone, I notice uh, it's a tool, most of the time, though, it's a distraction, mm -hmm. and I don't think that's yearning, I don't think that's longing, mm -hmm. I think that's compulsion, I think that's pathology, I well, think that's it's, disconnection. It's not, it's not a neutral source. Uh, you, yes, I agree. That I have about it is that all of the, this is a, a corporate tool. Yeah. It's not neutral. There's nothing neutral about yeah. what shows up and what you're plugged into. And that is fine. But just know that that's what you're plugging into. Right, right, no, right. Mark Zuckerberg is not my friend, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> He's nobody's friend, man. He doesn't care about me. No. Right? So those, those different media sources and Google... You know, I had a, a reason to um, report something to the FBI. And when I asked him if he was going to surveil me because I'd come to make a report, he was like, look, what you need to be worried about is Google and Facebook, because those people don't have any requirements. There, there are no people that they have to report to. I have to justify everything that's on my budget. So I couldn't go out and investigate something that I wasn't given a specific directive to. And we have rules that we have to follow. Mm. But Google, Facebook... <laughs> You're playing roulette. I was like, wow, the FBI thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually some bizarrely comforting thing to know. It is bizarre. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. It's a whole new moment. Speaking of leaning into, you know, forward and the next paradigm and what it looks like, yeah. it feels like there's this um, dichotomy, this double-headed axe of of kind of the the reality that i that you feel to be it feels to me like you're introducing a possibility a reality a magic in which i would love to step into and while at the same time especially as a as a political activist that 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 needs to be something i identify with but anybody who's participating today who's mindful of what we're watching around us whether it's um you know we I mention often Kavanaugh hearings, Me Too movements, movements for black lives, liberation in Palestine or concentration camps at the border. 
and or what you're saying now about Facebook and Google and, and the surveillance. All of this feels to me like we're stepping into uh, an unknown, the likes of which are both growing. Like the potential of what you're introducing is massive and I love it and it's magic. And the darkness on the other side also feels uh, somewhat limitless. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I, I, Hold I on. wait, first of all, make sure that you understand that you are the darkness on the other side. More, give me more. I need to be aligned with the dark chthonic mothers. Okay. The things that arise out of the earth. That's who I'm loyal to. So it's important not to make darkness uh, in a dualistic system because then we're being racist. Thank you. Way. Thank you for that reminder. I really yeah. appreciate so that. So the power yes. is in the dark mystery of the unknown. Okay. And we are the beings coming out of that power to touch and form and move things into the future. You know, on Christine's podcast, Christian Palmas's one woman podcast, it's my voice that says, <laughs> we are the midwives of the new era. And this time of chaos is our time. Wait, wait, can you repeat so that you again? You, you cut out. Can you repeat that quote? Sure. We are the midwives of the new aeon. And this time of chaos, it is our time. Yeah, and we'll definitely link to that. It's powerful, especially with the, the music that goes along with so, it. So you, you yourself, uh-huh. Mika, can, as, even as a bozo, even as a doofus, right? You get to choose what you identify with. You can choose to identify with the darkness and the power of the darkness. The comforting, still, mysterious darkness. And I can choose, and I can choose to lean into my own internal transformation and growth. And I can choose, if I understand what you're saying correctly, also as as a mindful, I don't like the term political activist. Maybe we can find... Another one that feels more accurate one day. You're activist, darling, and seek pleasure in everything you do. That's not non-political. <laughs> okay, okay. So as a pleasure activist, yeah, I I align myself with like-minded people, and hopefully, I'd like to still be able to envision and, in some language, strategize around how we strengthen our the way we see reality, the way we perceive and choose to spread. Our um, messages, our energy, our visions, our life force. Life force. Thank you. Okay. There we go. There it is. Okay. Yeah, we need you to do that. I appreciate that. A lot of power. Don't squander it. Yeah, that's the thing that keeps coming up for me too. Here. because I, boy, this is a humbling process. I'll go ahead and say that, uh, especially being growing up white, male, American, cisgendered, uh, you know, small town, um, mostly white, small town. It's humbling to just turn the corner and be uh, schooled, educated, edified. Um, and there are times when I think, oh, I learned something. And that's true. And then there are 12 other things that just slap me in the face. Um, and I'm often frustrated 
uh, I think more with myself and, and what I got handed than say any other being or thing. Yeah. Cause then right there is this thing where it's your job to be a noun. It's your job to be a you know, strong, solid, immovable, non-transparent <laughs> noun that knows everything. Right. right, right. Fucking, noun. Sure. What a fucking burden. Why, why aren't you also a mystery? Why aren't you allowed to not know? Mm. Why isn't it a relief not to know? Why aren't we just lit up with curiosity about the not knowing? God, see, that's such a great point. And here's one of my struggles too, is that I love not knowing. When I started to, yeah. to really get with the truth of, well, I don't know. I don't know. And also, and I think- the death- definition of man that you were handed has to know has to know yeah and has that's, to know has to yep. fix has to prepare has to do the work right <laughs> thanks for saying that i wish I'm other people sorry. could see the face that terry just made it was so good <laughs> um yeah and i think that's that feels important to speak about in terms of the experience of of uh, men in quotes um yeah. that we get I mean, handed I think it'd be super great if you just gave up being a man just wear a yeah. dress in public and just deal with the scorn of that and then you're out from under the yoke of it you can mm. just be a queer radical like the rest of us and just do what you want. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just like, oh my God. And can you even now, as a white cisgendered male, say anything publicly without this torrent of animosity? In some environments, you can't. Well, and that's part of the challenge. Uh, having an opinion is almost a, uh, an act of misogyny or domination or this sort of patriarchal uh, top of the, the food chain kind of deal, which, mm-hmm. is, which it feels like a vital thing for us to continue to have conversations about. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't want to collapse. I don't want to just say whatever, whatever you say goes or say, I don't know, or I don't want to you know, assert myself. So that's one of my central struggles is, oh, how mm-hmm. do I actually be in power? Mm-hmm. How do I let power move through me? And instead of power over. Power with instead of power over. Yeah, precisely. Um, and that, that metric, I'm starting to tune my, my inner tuning fork a little more uh, around that and noticing the differences. Um, I'm, I'm trying to loop Micha back in here with like, you know, screens and the distinction between like we can we get sold a story it's powerful to be able to do anything we want uh, at any moment right but we're talking about different kinds of power i think sure yeah sure and um yeah i can't claim to not be confused about that i'm oh i'm confused about confused it about it yeah, yeah. Mm. and i'm also scared I of the notion should... what's that terry i like it I like the speed of if I don't know a word, I can look it up right away. Yeah, that is cool. I use that yeah, often. Use it. It's a fabulous friggin' tool. Totally. Right? Yeah, I looked up Vanguard and Ossify yesterday. Good <laughs> shit. And now I'm Ossify. a little more edified. Also a good word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or translating. I ate to, yeah, I spent two hours today translating that autobiography from English to Hebrew. Right it's back. super helpful. How mm. do you translate? We translated liminal and, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're, I mean, yes, a tool, 
a tool that I have power over as opposed to one that has power over me. I just name that there are all kinds of stimulants around that sometimes I am mm-hmm. not so aware of or, or I'm aware of, but I'm, I kind of let slide the way that I wake up. And the first thing that I do sometimes when I open my eyes is reach over to the screen and yeah. check something. <laughs> yeah. So my just, you know, my advice giving was just make sure you have 15 to 20 minutes a day. That's a, practice for you to listen yeah. to yourself in in nature <laughs> then everything will arise from that well i think that's a big key too because when we go back to the self-reliance piece uh i think mostly that horse shit that the cult of the individual uh gave us all um being in nature is so different than say for me sitting meditating on my cushion in my house it's so different. That feels like an important distinction to make. That if I'm in my house, I'm pretty much with noise. I'm with my things. I'm with books. And now I've, of course, curated them and selected them. So I'm not, say, you know, I'm not in a bus station. I'm not in, yeah. you know, uh, a conservative Republican's home, uh, you know. Right. And there's a huge difference between me sitting in my cushion for 10 minutes in the morning and being in nature for 20 minutes because I'm with something larger than myself. Of course, there's a we there that we could talk about. It's an important part of being right-sized. Yeah, right-sized is something you said before. Can you speak just a little to right-sized? Yeah, I used that. Uh, the first person I ever heard use that term is Rain Crow. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that she made that up, uh-huh. but she could have because she's also one of those people that makes up new language all the time. <laughs> Cool. It's like, you know, human beings need to be in the right scale. Right. Look at the universe. <laughs> Look at the planet. Uh-huh. Look at the universe. <laughs> yeah. This <laughs> is really problematic that, you know, some people are calling this the anthropomorphine era, right? Mm-hmm. And that human beings are, and the decisions that we make are determining the existence of other species. It's an unprecedented time. Yeah. And then all I'll you know, reference one other person. Uh, Donna Haraway wrote a brilliant book called Sitting in the Trouble, <laughs> Making Kin in the Cthulhu Scene. So she doesn't call it Anthropocene. She refuses to call it that. She says, no, it's we're entangled. It's a Cthulhu scene. We're entangled with mm. the other beings and we should admit our embeddedness and seek out embeddedness because making kin with non-humans is super important. Can you help me out again here as the anthropomorcine versus... Oh, okay. Anthrop- Anthropo- Anthropocene. I'm probably not saying it right. So geologists name time aeons. Uh-huh. Just proposed, I think in 2010, that this era that we're moving into be called the Anthropocene, okay. which means centered on humans. Yeah, because mm-hmm. we're leaving the scene. Uh, no, no, we're because fucking what it we up. Determines whether the planet exists or not, because what we do determines. In the past, when a species went extinct, it wasn't from loss of habitat, uh-huh. which is by humans, it was because, you know, the, the things they ate went out of existence, right? So the sixth great extinction that we are in the middle of right now, that's happening right now, it's not coming, like the icebergs aren't going to melt tomorrow, you know, they're yeah. melting. We're in right. the middle of it and people don't get that. Yeah. Right? So 
those things are happening because of human beings' behaviors, and no other geological aeon has that been true. So that's what they that's what they mean when they say Anthropocene. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you're and saying she's calling, it, she's calling it Cthulhu scene, which means a te- tentacle, a uh. tentacle, and C H T H is the Greek suffix affix. What it's the first word? Like earlier, I said the word chthonic, C H T H O N I C. In a dualism, right, there are chthonic things and cosmic things, as above, so below, right? Chthonic. <laughs> so Cthulhu means things that erupt from the earth naturally in the world and are tangled or embedded or sticky or like a tentacle. <laughs> cool. Right? Yeah. Okay, I know uh, I want to be mindful of your time, Terry, because I, I think we're right at... When you need okay. to, how do we wrap it up? Well, I want to, I want to, I want to share some appreciation for having my mind blown on the one hand and on the other hand, feeling a, a really sweet connection with you immediately yeah. within about seven minutes, I could feel a mad love in your direction and appreciation for the, for what you hold um, and for mm-hmm. what you teach and for letting us or letting me also personally glean some of that, your experience and your knowledge um, and, and gratitude for, um, you know, for Jeff for introducing us. Yeah. I am fun. super excited to um, listen to this again and find all the different quotes and find the links <laughs> yeah. to them and put them online and also to just dive into all these things and feel like there are going to be so many follow up questions that I want to yeah. name that can we please not make this our last um, connection? Oh, no, you can talk to me more. And in fact, I'll send you the Autostrader article that got uh, censored uh, because it has. An oh. overview of what the things I've said to you. Great. And it has the Donna Haraway. It has a lot of the references. It has Donna Haraway and Audrey Marie Brown and, you know, Audrey mm. Lord and Bell Hood. I will uh, email that to you, Jeff. That's great. That yeah. Please do, Terry. Yeah. I'd love and- to get your feet. Oh, I'd love to read it and share what, what I got, what comes up. Um, it's so good to be with you again. It feels so yes. nourishing. Because uh, on the one hand, I'm I'm way more hopeful than I was two hours ago. Uh, I really am because I've been really grappling and, and, and been challenged by near-term social, economic, environmental collapse. Um, as you know, I've been wading deeper and deeper into that. Uh, territory mm-hmm. of the, those waters, so it's, yeah. it's it's helpful to hear about just what feels like a much more expansive. And here's the paradox, right? Expansive and grounded take on what's possible and what we might get up yeah. to and already be up to. So well, thank also, you. let me just pick one other thing for you to help you when you feel hopeless. Yeah, don't pay attention to the humans. Watch <laughs> mm. the mycelium. Go talk. Mm. Sit near a beehive. Look at the stars at night. The things yeah. that I've just learned that what's going to sustain me yeah. and what feeds my soul is the non-human world. Oh, that's so and good. And it does not judge you or, yeah. you know, call you names. Mm. <laughs> that's so good. And such a powerful permission, Terry. So thank you. Because right? I, I sit oh, each morning. in the grass and talk to a mushroom. 
Yeah. <laughs> I sit each morning and I'm just with the birds and I'm with the trees and I'm with the creek nearby. And so often I am pulled from my book and my tea by a critter, a creature, a sound, uh, a curiosity, because um, I live like Micha in the mountains. Right. So that's good. And those advice. things are real. Yeah. Fucking A. Those things are real and they matter. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I wonder if I saw in one of Jeff's notes that a wonderful way to maybe wrap up a conversation is actually leave us with a question. Yeah. Um, is there a question that you would leave us with? Question to ponder, maybe? Oh, well, that beautiful um, Marianne Oliver quote. I mean, what will you do with your one precious life? Mm. Yeah, this is all shit I've made up. What are you gonna make up? That <laughs> soul and sustains you because that's that's your job for you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think I'm a I'm a I'm a deeper doofus and a better bozo for this <laughs> <laughs> for my time with you. Yeah, it's a lot I, of fun. I agree. Okay, friends. Bye, Terry. <laughs> <laughs>